Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Hitchcock Happy Hour. I'm Lydia Jordan. And I'm Sarah Shaw, and today we are really excited to talk about a movie that I think... Embarrassingly, neither of us have seen. And you call yourself a cinephile. I know. I'm like, it's like my greatest shame is that I had never seen this. But it's, I've seen it now, and um, I'm, I get it. Like, I, I understand why this movie is so is such a classic. Like, it is pristine from start to finish. It's so chaotic in the best way. It's. It's so funny. Yeah, I it's hilarious. It. I'm really excited to talk about it. So today we're talking about The Big Lebowski, which is one of the most iconic cult classic films mm-hmm. to exist out there, I think. Um, but before we get started, Lydia, what are we drinking today? Well, today <laughs> we are drinking a marmalade old-fashioned. Verdict is still out. We all need to do a little bit of yeah. a recipe testing because neither of us love it in its current state right now but basically you just make an old-fashioned with marmalade yeah and so <laughs> instead of sugar we I I had really high hopes for this because I was like this is gonna be so good because of like how great our other gin and jam cocktail was and I used a bourbon because I'm just like oh I feel like you know a rye will be too that'll be too weird but I think if we use a bourbon and this much jam, it's a little too sweet for me. Yeah. I, I'm i not sure. I just, like, as I'm drinking it, I'm like, I know this is going to taste great if it is done properly. Yeah, I agree. And I used an Indian whiskey, which has more of, like, a scotchy smokiness to it, um, which I would say does not work very well for this, but... I. I'm still going to drink it. I'm going to drink um, it, too. And I feel like it just is missing, like, one ingredient. Like, I feel like maybe mm-hmm. if it had, like, lemon in it or something. It needs something. It needs something, it's but just... I just don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, I am going to drink all of it, although whiskey is... You know, we don't drink a lot of whiskey on this podcast. I think it's more for, more so for me than it is for you. I'm just not a huge whiskey person, and this, this cocktail is a little... I feel like it has potential to be so good. Like, I'm thinking, I was thinking I was just wanting this to be something like The Rye Witch. Do you remember that one? That was mm-hmm. so good. Who could uh, forget The Rye Witch? Harkening back me, to The Rye Witch and our Strega. BFF Strega. <laughs> now that I have Strega, I should probably actually make the real one. Yeah, you should do it right witch. this time. I couldn't find any, so I can't remember what I ended up using instead. But I don't think there was anything to use because we didn't know what Strega was in order to substitute it. <laughs> Oh, actually, Pims. no, I think I, I think I did too. Actually, you're right. I think we both used Pims. <laughs> I feel like I just was like, all right, vibe is herbal liqueur, throw it in. Yeah, I think we we're like, Pims is the right color, but we didn't know what Strago would look like at all, and it's not the right color. <laughs> anyway. It's not the vibe. So I think, we anyway, the, yeah, verdict is out. I think, verdict is out? The jury is still out? Is that what it is? That's what it is. It's the jury. <laughs> jury's still. out, the verdict is in. The verdict <laughs> is not in yet. Um, but the jury's out, okay? <laughs> the jury's out and we're not sure but, what they're going to what they're going to say, but I just but feel like it's by the time I post it on TikTok, it'll be perfected. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. And I I just feel like it tastes like I made a really good cocktail wrong. That's what it tastes like to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that's a good assessment. Although, I'm going to be honest, I have sipped a decent amount now, and the more I drink it, the less... 
Unless I hate it. It's one of those. (laughs) We're doing something right here. And I think it's just the inordinate amount of whiskey that I added to this is helping. I'm also just going to get ahead of the question right now. And the question probably being, why aren't we drinking a white Russian? And we're talking about the big Lebowski because it's like what Because I'd literally rather fucking die than drink a white Russian. So so the jury is not out on that one and the verdict is in. And we, we do not really like dairy in our cocktails. Yeah, so. I was just trying to, like, actively not shit myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd love that. Um, so, yeah, sorry, we're not drinking a white Russian, ice. but that is kind of the, if you were going to, like, theme a cocktail, pair a cocktail with a movie, that's probably the one to do with this movie, because that's what he's drinking throughout the whole movie. Yeah. But it's not for us, so I'm, I'm pretty sure hers it. is just, like, straight Kahlua, though. <laughs> is, no, I swear, I'm pretty sure I saw him, like, throw a half and half in there, too, at one point. Oh, no, you know what? I think you're right. Which, but he was also just drinking Kahlua on the rocks, which, like, you know. I could vibe with that. I could definitely I can vibe, vibe with that. that. I could do that. <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, let's kind of jump into this movie. This movie is great. We're going to, um, you know, do our normal thing. Big surprise to absolutely nobody. We're going to talk about background, go into plot, a little bit of analysis. I've got a couple of fun facts for you, and then we'll just end it there. So, um. Let's jump in. I think the plot is going to take a little bit longer than normal to kind of tease out just because I think even for me who paid pretty strong attention to this movie, it was a little bit hard to follow. Like it's kind of convoluted and it's on purpose and we'll talk about that. But I do want to just take the time to like really lay out the plot so people can kind of track what we're talking about and kind of talk about why it's so convoluted the way it is. So yeah, we'll spend a little bit more time on the plot than we normally do, but let's just dive on in. So, um, The Big Lebowski is a 1998 black comedy crime neo-noir film. Specifically, an article in The Atlantic called this movie a stoner crime comedy about bowling Vietnam and the critical importance of having that one interior design element that ties the whole room together. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I'm dying! Nothing is ever described. Sarah, you can just stop there. Like you've done, you've done your research. You've done your job. Like we can just wrap, just wrap it up. I don't think I've ever heard a better description of a movie in my entire life. Whoever wrote that header needs a raise. Yeah, give absolutely. Them a raise. You give heard it here first. Give them everything. Atlantic, like. give them a raise. <laughs> Um, the movie was written, produced, and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, professionally known as the Cohen Brothers. They are two very prolific filmmakers that um, usually partner and make their films together. They write, produce, and direct like most of their movies. Uh, the movie stars a whopping cast. It has like every famous person from the '90s in it. So it stars yeah Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, and it's narrated by Sam Elliott. <laughs> it's just wonderful. Yeah, so th- that's just to name a few. There's, like, a lot of other people. Um, John Tartaro is in it, too. Um, and, yeah, there's, like, tons of cameos and, and things like that in this movie. So uh, the film was generally pretty successful when it was released, but it was by no means a smash hit. It was... Um, yeah, it it was met with pretty mixed reviews from critics, and it was kind of like a hit or miss at the box office. Like, some days it would be pretty popular with moviegoers, and some days it would be, like, nobody in the theaters to see it. Um, it did pretty well at the box office. I think it made 
about double what the budget was, a little bit under double what the budget was. So it, it didn't... Okay. Yeah, it, it broke even, but... So it wasn't, it wasn't a smash. It yeah, wasn't a it... smash, but um, obviously over time, it became, like, one of the most revered movies ever made. <laughs> so it became a major, major cult classic over time, and it is now part of the Library of Congress's, like, uh, film registry for being like historically and culturally significant so it's it's one of those and it's kind of one of those movies that like everybody should see once or multiple times like I will watch this movie again it is so fun to watch yeah so um fun for us and kind of funny that I think we had talked about doing this and we were kind of back and forth about it doing it during our uh, November series because it is kind of a neo-noir it's it's very loosely based very loosely based, but very much inspired by uh, the works of Raymond Chandler. He's a very prolific uh, noir writer. He wrote a lot of books. He was the screenwriter of Double Indemnity. Um, the movie specifically takes inspiration from The Big Sleep. Um, f- yeah, Farewell, My Lovely, The High Window, The Long Goodbye, but The Big Sleep and Farewell, My Lovely are probably like the two big ones that it takes inspiration from. Um Joel Cohen said that they wanted to do a Chandler kind of story. They wanted uh, like a movie that moves episodically and deals with characters trying to unravel a mystery as well as also being um, kind of hopelessly complex and having a plot that's ultimately unimportant. <laughs> so that's kind of what <laughs> <And> happened. <it> <laughs> was. And that's very kind of reminiscent of, for those of, you know, you who remember or for people that have seen The Big Sleep or listened to our analysis about that movie, um, that's very reminiscent of that film and that story. More more the movie, I think, than the book, but um, the movie was very well known for being very confusing and convoluted and nobody really knew what was going on, including Raymond Chandler. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> very, very similar to that. So with that... Let's dive into the plot and uh, take some time to kind of tease it out a little bit. And it is going to sound really, really bizarre because everything that happens in this movie is super bizarre to me. I don't know if, I, if you agree. But. I agree. It's a very, um, like, outrageous film. Yeah, that's you know what, what I mean. Yeah. Like, when you're watching it as a viewer, it is just so over the top. And so I'm excited to give you for you to give this recap because... It is just so ridiculous that, like, as you're watching, it is so engaging as an audience member, but I'm sure when you're explaining what happened, it it's absolutely ludicrous. It makes so. no sense. <laughs> so Let's um, get into yeah, it. Yeah, let's dive in. <laughs> uh, so the movie is set in the early 1990s in Los Angeles, where slacker Jeffrey the Dude Lebowski is assaulted in his home by two enforcers for a porn kingpin named Jackie Treehorn, who is owed money by the wife of a different Jeffrey Lebowski. So that's what we have to kick off the movie. One of the goons urinates on the dude's favorite rug before they realize they have the wrong man and they leave. Advised by his bowling partners, Vietnam veteran Walter and their other friend, Donnie, <laughs> the dude visits wealthy philanthrop- philanthropist Jeffrey Big Lebowski, uh, demanding compensation for the rug. Uh, Lebowski refuses, but the dude tricks his assistant, Brant, into letting him take a similar rug from their mansion. Outside, he meets Lebowski's trophy wife, Bunny Lebowski, and her German nihilist friend, Yuli. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, my, that was, I love that part where she, he, like, looks over and she's like, oh, that's, that's Yuli. He's a nihilist. He's a nihilist. Just, like, sleeping in the pool. There's, like, an empty bottle of, like, Jack Daniels just floating next to him. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um... Soon after this, Bunny is apparently kidnapped, and Lebowski uh, hires the dude to deliver the requested ransom money of $1 million. That night, a different pair of thugs accost the dude, taking his replacement rug on behalf of Lebowski's daughter, Maud Lebowski, who has a sentimental attachment to the rug. (laughs) Convinced that Bunny kidnapped herself, Walter concocts a scheme to keep the ransom money by substituting it with a briefcase full of his dirty laundry. Although things don't go as planned, the kidnappers leave with Walter's laundry and Walter and the dude return to the bowling alley, leaving the ransom money in the trunk of their car. While bowling, the car is stolen from the parking lot. (laughs) Shortly after, the dude is confronted by Lebowski, who hands him an envelope from the kidnappers containing a severed toe, implied to be from Bunny. Revealing Bunny is actually one of Treehorn's porn actresses and lovers, Maude agrees that Bunny staged her own abduction and asks the dude to help her or asks the dude for help to recover the money which her father had illegally withdrawn from the family's foundation (laughs) oops here we go (laughs) later uh the dude is separately confronted for his failure to deliver the ransom by both lebowski and the and a trio of german nihilists who identify themselves as the kidnappers um they are also a former german like r- pop rock band called audubon yeah. <laughs> i'm pretty sure i was dying it's amazing Genius. incredible the cover that they created for that fake album is everything it's everything uh, Maud is able to confirm that the Germans are Bunny's friends. The dude's car, minus the briefcase, is recovered by the police. Driving home after meeting with Maud, the dude finds homework stuffed down the seat <laughs> signed by a person named Larry Sellers. <laughs> Walter and the dude confront Larry at his father's home, interrogating him about the missing briefcase. When he is unresponsive, Walter bashes um, a new sports car parked outside thinking the teen used the money to buy to buy it, but it's actually a neighbor who owns the car, and that neighbor appears and retaliates by bashing the dude's car, mistaking it for Walter's. <laughs> the scene is amazing. It's so funny. John so Goodman good. is so funny in this movie. <laughs> um... Later that night, the dude is abducted by Jackie Treehorn's thugs who take him to see the porn kingpin who demands to know where Bunny is and what happened to his money. The dude tells uh, Treehorn that Bunny faked her kidnapping and that his money is with Larry Sellers. The dude soon passes out after drinking a spiked white Russian given to him by Treehorn and has an intense dream where he envisions an elaborate Busby Berkeley-style musical sequence Featuring himself and Maud. It's <laughs> very, amazing. very if if you guys don't know what Busby Berkeley the, is, the who that is, it's so with good. The bowling balls is just the best. It's so like funny. how they make the bowling balls look like a butt. It's, like I was crying. I was cracking <laughs> up. And it's very like it is very Busby Berkeley-esque. If if people don't know what that is, just look up like 42nd Street or something like that or foot tail foot light brigade or something like whatever the movie's called he was very well known for his like very very 
kind of grand um, cinematography of musicals back in the 30s. Uh, but this is very, very bu- Busby Berkeley. <laughs> Um, when he comes to, he is arrested and taken to a local police station where the police chief threatens him and warns him to stay out of Malibu. (laughs) On the ride home, the dude is thrown out of his taxi cab after complaining about the driver's selection of the Eagles on the car radio. Soon after, Bunny can be seen driving by in her car, revealing that she was never kidnapped after all. The dude returns home where he finds Maud, who is there to have sex with him. Afterwards, she tells the dude she hopes to become pregnant, wanting a child but not wanting a father who will have to who she'll have to socially interact with. <laughs> Damn, Maud, that's cold. Cold. Uh, Maud re- reveals that her father has no money of his own and his wealth came from her late mother. The dude and Walter go to confront Lebowski and find that Bunny has returned, having simply gone out of town without telling anybody. The dude explains uh, that Bunny's nihilist friends had taken the opportunity to try to blackmail Lebowski, who in turn had taken the opportunity to embezzle money from the family charity, blaming its disappearance (laughs) on the blackmailers. (laughs) The briefcase given to the dude never contained any money after all. An enraged Walter insists that Lebowski is faking his uh, is faking his paralysis and lifts him out of his wheelchair, but discovers that Lebowski is in fact paralyzed. <laughs> it's, it's like one of those it's things so where you're like, cringy. you don't know what else to do besides laugh <laughs> because it's so uncomfortable. Um, in the final confrontation outside of the bowling alley, the nihilists set the dude's car on fire and demand the ransom money. Walter violently fends them off, but during the scuffle, Donnie dies of a heart attack before scattering... Yeah, R.I.P. Donnie. Before scattering Donnie's ashes from a cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean, Walter delivers a eulogy that turns into a diatribe about the Vietnam War. He scatters the ashes, which an updraft blows back over himself and the dude. <laughs> it's just like everything that's inappropriate happens in this movie. But it's so funny. Yeah. Uh, soon afterwards, the dude encounters the stranger, the film's narrator, who sums up everything that happened in the movie and notes while he didn't like seeing Donnie go, he, remi- he remains optimistic and reveals that Maud is pregnant with a little Lebowski on the way. And that's how the movie ends. <laughs> there you have it. Zero purpose. Like, everything that happens... But did, ha- they, but did they win the bowling tournament is what I want to know. Uh, yeah, like, that's literally the most important part of the movie, and it's never resolved. <laughs> it's just... I know. Yeah, everything... Um, everything that happens, like, happens to drive the plot forward, but the plot is super arbitrary itself. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like the plot is, like, the red herring here. Yeah, <laughs> like, the entire know. plot is the red herring, but everything <laughs> that happens is, like, important for the plot. <laughs> it's really weird. But um, it does really well create this, like, very complex, convoluted plot, but keeps you really interested. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does exactly what a film noir it's, does. I mean, it's exactly what The Big Sleep does, where yeah. you're like, I don't know what the fuck is happening, but I'm very engaged, and I feel like, yeah, it's the same thing, just... A little bit of a different setting. Same, same, but different. Same, um, same, same, but different. So let's jump into the analysis. I want to talk about the film noir elements and kind of the the comparisons between uh, this movie and some older film noirs. But before we do that, I do want to take a minute 
to just talk about the Coen brothers because they are super prolific. I think this might be our first Coen brothers film. It is. Okay. Yeah. Confirming so, it is. Confirming it is. So I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. I'm not sure if if you are as well. I've seen a lot of their movies. One of my favorite movies ever is Fargo. That's probably like their one of their most such a great film. Yeah, one of their most famous movies. Um, Frances McDormand is a genius and is so good in that movie. Um, the they have a very specific writing style I would say they do um I don't really know how to describe it but it's very very funny but also like very dark at the same time not in like a not like a scary way but just like they really teeter on the edge of like talking about some pretty inappropriate content (laughs) no they do and I think it's yeah it's a very like dark nihilistic yeah sense of humor yeah and I think they do also kind of it's this like lowbrow but also highbrow humor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, it definitely is. Which I think is really interesting, and I think that's why maybe they have such a such an appeal. Like the films that they do, I would say, are generally pretty successful, but they are able to kind of marry this like camp almost. Like this kind of campy, like I don't know, like sense of humor with something more elevated. And I think that that's again why this movie works. Like the plot is meaningless at the end but it's really the experience that you go through like I don't think this movie really has a lot of meaning and we can talk about that it's kind of the same with the big sleep I think that there's some like key themes that you can take away on like a big level but it's not like there's this really meaningful thing that they're trying to get across no I, I, abs- think, I right? absolutely agree I think it's just entertainment yeah in, and like, the I, most purest form yeah and we'll talk about that I, I want to get to that because I want to kind of dive into that a little bit more and I'd love to get your opinion but I think that's a really good point like their their um writing style is so unique in that it's so lowbrow that it's highbrow almost like it's Mm -hmm. if you like if you're not it can go over your head of like how intellectual their their writing actually is because it comes across as just like so screwball but the way that they do it is like it's so intelligent. Like, they do it with these, like, very serious, like, crime dramas, almost. And it's it's really great. So yeah. they have this very specific writing style that they employ in all of their films. They're, they, but they've, they really have a pretty wide variety of genre. Like, they don't really have one specific genre that they, that they stick to. I think they pretty much span every genre. And not only that, but they kind of, they write movies that are very serious in those genres, but also, like subvert and parody every genre as well mm-hmm. which I think is really important I think this you know we'll talk about that a little bit later too but I do think that this movie is a, definitely a love letter to film noir but it's also definitely like a satire of film noir <laughs> as it well is. Yeah, so absolutely. yeah so obviously they're very well known for their witty and intelligent kind of black comedy writing some of their notable works people are interested in their films are obviously this movie, Miller's Crossing, Raising Arizona, Fargo, my like favorite soundtrack of all time, which is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's a great movie, oh, amazing soundtrack. Um, and No Country for Old Men, obviously, just to name a few. Those are some of their, their more famous movies. They won Best Screenplay. So they're pretty like decorated filmmakers as well. So they won Best Screenplay for Fargo. Um, they also won Best Screenplay Director and Best Picture for No Country for Old Men. And they won the Palme d'Or at Cannes for a movie called Barton Fink, which is kind of fun. I've never actually heard of that movie, but 
Yeah, so they also have won a Palme d'Or, and they've also directed a lot of actors that have won best actor category in the best actor categories in their films. Uh, Francis McDormand, obviously, being one of them for Fargo. Great movie. Um, so as I mentioned, they wrote, they write, produce, and direct all their own, all of their uh, movies. Um, they wrote, produced, and directed all of their film films together until two thousand four, where they did a movie where I think one of them produced it, one of them directed it. And then they sometimes now do their own thing, but mostly they work together still. Um, and they often, kind of like Wes Anderson, they use, you know, the same kind of ensemble of people. This movie actually is one of the ones that doesn't do that, but they, they definitely collaborate with the same um, artists for a lot of their films. So there, there's a lot to go in about them, but I just wanted to give them like a very quick shout out before <laughs> we kind of dive into their um, this film, because I think... Knowing, like, their writing style is really important in talking about this movie, the meaning of this movie, and kind of the lack of meaning in this movie, uh, which I find super interesting. I think it's what's very, very fascinating about this movie. But um, before we get into that and kind of, like, the popularity of it, let's talk about the film noir elements of this film. Because that's my favorite genre, so... Very excited to talk about it. I know. That's why we're friends. I remember you took, didn't you like take a class in college that was like noir writing or something? I took a class on film noir. It was called, I think it was mostly about neo noir. So we did all kinds of. I've, I watched so many movies for that class. It was awesome. And then I just got to write about it. I did very well in that class. Yeah. God, I wish I took that class. (laughs) It was one of my favorites. The professor was really good too. Oh, that's amazing. Um, do you have a favorite movie you saw in that class? Now we're just on a sidebar here. There are a lot of really good ones. For some reason, the one that, because I was actually thinking about this the other day, the one that sticks out to me that I remember really vividly was Mulholland Drive. Oh, God. Because I hadn't seen that one before, but I feel like the, it's so absurd. Mm -hmm. Um, and David, David Lynch is like, yeah, he's just a very, like, I mean, and his style is so specific, um, but I just remember, I love, like, the costumes and the sets. They perfectly capture that noir-esque-ness, yeah. um, yeah. but they take it into the 90s, which is so fun. Yeah, it's definitely, like, a, the name, I think, is definitely, like, a, an allusion to Sunset Boulevard, so. Yeah, um, yeah. That really might good. be a fun one we do for our noir vendors here. Next year, I think we'll have to do some more, like, neo-noir, but that was the one that really stuck out and I think maybe we watched like basic instinct or oh something. yeah that's kind of the um yeah that's the Sharon the Sharon Stone movie mm-hmm. yeah good one yeah um anyway sorry it's just a total sidebar just we very, digress I was very curious <laughs> um anyway so obviously the Coen brothers as I said were very influenced by film noir Raymond Chandler specifically um they use this film to kind of parody the absurd and often pointless uh complex storylines of film noir which i think i think that's so brilliant because what's so different about that and actual film noir movies from the 40s is that i don't think that film noir movies from the 40s was were trying to be absurd and complex i think they just like ended up being that way but this movie is actively trying to do that but it's successful, and I just think that's, like, it's really hard to make a movie so complicated, but successfully. <laughs> like, they convolute it so much, but it's on purpose, so, like, every detail and every kind of plot point that moves the plot forward is, it's so... It's still relevant. Yeah, like, it's still it, super relevant. One thing has to happen to 
to move it forward. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> um, but I, I just, I just find that really fascinating and something that is very unique and like not very obviously. I don't think. Um, <clears throat> I don't think writers aim to convolute their stories. I think it's no. really rare to get a, a a movie that's going to successfully do that. So I that's what's so unique about this one. But um, Raymond Chandler kind of... I, I really liked this quote. He once explained the difference between classic murder mysteries and the hard-boiled genre of film, of film noir and kind of noir stories that he kind of helped create. He said that in the former, the plot is the careful alignment of details that enable the mystery to be solved. That was the most important part of a murder mystery. But in a film noir, the scene outranks the plot in the sense that a good plot was only made good by good scenes. So I think that's really that's really true. Yeah. Um, I think it's like when we watch old film noirs or even this movie like it's certain scenes or dialogue and or lines that really like stand out even in double indemnity there's like specific scenes that really stand out to me um the biggest catalyst of the creation of film noir and i think we talked about this a lot in our noir vember um episodes is the nihilistic mood that resulted from world war ii which is directly referenced in this movie with the three german nihilists with with the autobahn yeah and they keep showing like these three german nihilists keep showing up randomly and demanding ransom causing the most violence in the movie so i think that's like a direct reference to the creation and kind of the catalyst that Mm -hmm. created film noir which was the nihilistic mood in the u.s surrounding the the world war ii which was a you know very you know german um propelled thing and so it's it's interesting that they did that and have these like three germans showing up causing all the violence that happens in this movie which in film noir like the point of film noir is to show like the seedy underbelly of society which is kind of interesting so another important um device in film noir is the voiceover flashback narration which we have here although here it's different than in most noir and most noir it's the it's the protagonist that's doing the narration here it's like a total stranger being sam elliott (laughs) which is really random and i don't think he voices over the whole movie i think it's just the beginning and the end um and he does a very interesting thing in the end where he breaks the fourth wall which i find very fascinating that was that was kind of it was kind of interesting like it was it was such an interesting choice yeah it kind of takes you out of the I don't know, it kind of, like, it removes you from the story a little bit, almost. Like, it's, it like, does. you're so you're so engaged in it throughout the whole movie, and then it kind of, like, removes you from the story, which is... I don't know if it... It kind of just caught me off guard. I'm not sure if you had, like, a specific feeling about it, but... No, I mean, it's... It's just so interesting, like, why they chose to do that. I don't have, like, a, a positive or, like, a negative opinion either way, because I... It didn't... I don't 100% understand why they did that. Maybe I'm just, you know what I mean? It didn't feel necessary. And I don't sure, I'm not sure if they ever kind of like addressed why they would do that. But I think it just adds to kind of the absurdity and just like ridiculousness of the movie, I yeah. guess. Um, which I appreciate. I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, so, like I said, this movie was obviously very influenced by the... Well, not very, but loosely adapted and influenced by The Big Sleep 
and um, Farewell, My Lovely, which the movie version of that is called Murder, My Sweet. Um, Mm -hmm. The plot generally has nothing to do with those movies, but there are major parallels that are kind of hard to ignore, so I'll just point them out. I'll point them out, but I want to see if you, like, caught any of them, too. So, um, Maud is a direct reference to Vivian Rutledge um, from The Big Sleep, which is Lauren Bacall's character. Which I was like, so then I guess that would make... The dude, Philip Marlowe. Yeah, I think it makes the dude Philip Marlowe. Um, <laughs> it's like a dumb Philip Marlowe. <laughs> an dumb, underachieving An underachieving Philip Marlowe. Um, which I think is interesting because, like, the point of the, like, hard-boiled detective in film noir is that they kind of begrudgingly, like, fall in the middle of these, like, mystery mm-hmm. plots. Like, they're never actively trying to solve these crimes. Like, they just happen to, like, fall, get in the middle of, like, yeah. some grand thing that they then have to kind of, like, begrudgingly solve. Like, so it's 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 a very interesting, like, 90s take on on that, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, so, yeah, Maude is, like, the daughter, which Viv- Vivian Rutledge is the daughter of a wealthy wheelchair-ridden man who hires Philip Marlowe um, who then also has Marlowe work for her, which exact is exactly what happens in the in the Big Lebowski as well. Yeah. Um, down to the fact that the guy's like wheelchair ridden too, which is is really an interesting, um, like parallel that they made. Um. Yeah. So it's they have like the investigation within the investigation that has like nothing to do with the investigation, but then also has is like propelled forward by the, the main investigation, and yeah. So that's it's a little bit convoluted, much like the Big Sleep, but. So bunny, much like the, much like the movie it references. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I don't think we did uh, murder my sweet, but it's a movie I've seen. And it's really I really like it. I've also read the book, but bunny is a reference to, um, a character in murder my sweet. So in in that story, Mar- uh, Marlo gets roped into helping. A, another wealthy man with an investigation that's related to his younger trophy wife who in turn gets like he then gets involved with the wealthy man's daughter as well that trophy wife there's also like a kidnapping kind of situation in that in that story as well so that's kind of where that uh reference comes from also uh i didn't catch this but it i was reading about it and i was like oh that's really funny uh, when Bunny asks the dude to blow on her toes, it's a direct reference to Lauren Bacall's line from The Have and Have Not. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know how to whistle. Uh, just put your lips together and just blow. blow. Just blow. Yeah. Which um, is, we, we've talked about that. And I just was like, oh my God, that's so funny. So they took it and made it like a lot more grotesque, I would say. Yeah. Again, it's that like low, like low brow, high brow. Like it is dirty and filthy and clearly a double entendre yeah but then at the same time it's also this really incredible allusion to a classic film noir that you know might go over your head might go right over your head um the last thing uh that i just want to point out in terms of parallels is the pornographer plays a key role in both stories which also was a big part of the big sleep big part of the big sleep not overtly referenced because of the code but it's very overtly referenced in the book but um very much alluded to in the in the movie so yeah jackie treehorn is like the kingpin pornographer in lebowski and then arthur geiger is this like pornographer kingpin that the the sister gets involved with in um the big sleep so that's a really interesting like parallel they have there um so the kind of 
And last thing that I want to spend a little time talking about, and this is kind of where I want to get, like, your take, and we, you kind of already kind of alluded to what you were thinking, but, um, and I think it's important to talk about this with all of our cult classics, but the big question of these movies are, why is this movie so popular? And, and I think this movie is, has been analyzed up and down, and it's been dissected, and people have tried to interpret it so much that there's so many different interpretations out there. But I really like what you said about, I think you, what you were saying is, you know, the point of this movie is that there really isn't a point like there really isn't like some grand meaning behind it which I I totally agree with so I don't know I don't know what you what you think about that but I'd like to hear your I'd like to hear you kind of break that down a little bit yeah I mean I feel like I'm not going to be super eloquent at this point thanks to this marmalade old-fashioned but um <laughs> is the is the jury still out on it by the way <laughs> the jury's still out um the jury's out on what I'm about to say but uh, I'll take a stab at it <laughs> okay I feel like why this film is so successful is, yeah, there isn't some big, like, meaning that you need to take away from this. It's pure entertainment. It's thoroughly enjoyable. And I think that it it does address things that I think were top of mind in the 40s and are still top of mind. Like, I think there's some kind of ever-present themes that are here in this movie that, again, make it relatable um, but I think that why it's because, be, why it is so popular is because, there we go, um, why this film is so popular is because, again, like, there isn't anything, like, um, that you need to take away from it, and you can watch it on a couple different levels. I think you can watch it maybe not understanding some more of the popular cult, culture references that it makes, like, if you've never watched film noir and you don't understand that genre, you can still watch this movie and have it be really funny and, like, really, like, entertaining. But you can also watch it as, you know, someone who knows a lot about film noir who, you know, maybe catches some of the, like, more nuanced things. And it takes on another level. So, again, I think that, like, what's nice about this film is you don't have to know that it's being self-referential or, like, referential to neo-noir and, like, subverting these different classic genres. Um, it, it's still just a fun film to watch. The acting is amazing. It has that kind of, like, screwball sensibility to the humor, which makes it really funny. And, like, just... I think there's just something so fun about screwball humor. Like, yeah, it's just, I absolutely agree. It's just dumb. But I love it. It's dumb, but it's also, like, I think what you said kind of applies to screwball comedy, which is probably in my top, like, three favorite genres as well, is that it's, it, it can be very lowbrow, but it's also quite highbrow if you pay attention to what's going on. It's pretty nuanced in the type of comedy that's being portrayed. And, and I think that totally applies here. Mm -hmm. I think that, that concept with the comedy specifically, it totally applies to this movie. And I don't know, I definitely agree with what you said. I mean, I think the point of this movie, and I think what I agree with, like, what makes it so popular with this and also a lot of cult classics, the reasons they're cult classics are are because people that feel like they don't aren't represented in mainstream movies have something to relate to, and they can relate mm-hmm. to a character or to, to a theme or to something that's being portrayed in a, in a movie. And I think that there's something to be said about how people, like, on a lot of different levels 
feel like they can relate to the dude or they they feel the like dude yes He's kind of the everyman. Like, there's something about him that... And I think it's such an interesting choice, too, instead of following more of that kind of traditional blueprint for a film noir. Like, instead of having a hard-boiled Philip Marlowe type of character for that main role, instead they chose to make him, like, an underachiever who, like, smoked his way through college and, like... And I also was cracking up how he would pick up on different words from people that they were using. And he'd be like explaining, he's like, look, I just want you to understand there's like a lot of facets that I'm dealing with. And like, he's trying to be smart and like not show his hand, but he also doesn't really know what's going on and is like easily influenced by all of the people that he's talking to. And it's so funny. It's really (laughs) funny. And he doesn't know what's going on, but he, he like does know how to deal with situations more so than his friend who's just like a total foil to him the world war or the vietnam vet who's just like hilarious when he is like when they're in the car and they're going to swap like they're they're supposed to throw the money (laughs) off the bridge but when he is talking about like we're gonna go 15 miles an hour i'm gonna like get out of the car and roll yeah i'm gonna like go and attack and then he's like falls out of the car like the gun goes off and like shoots out the back of the car like the car hits a tree i was i shit you not crying like it was was a level of again it's like hilarious because the timing is impeccable like it's so funny because you think he's got it and but then he's like you know he's like laying there like rolling around on the ground (laughs) like the gun is going off like it was so funny the gun is like spinning around going (laughs) off and just shoots out the whole back of the car and then like the motorcyclists come and get the money driving away and he's just laying there like (laughs) and then he gets up and he's like fuck it let's go bowling it's so great but I, oh I think that's what's just, like, so... Everything in this movie is just so relatable to, like, anybody. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think totally. there's there's something of a mythos behind the the dude. And, like, I the think dude. there's, like, people that, like, follow, like, religions about him. And it's, about the dude. Yeah, about the dude. Like, this movie has a bigger... I think this movie probably has a more intense cult following than any other movie. <laughs> um, it's, it's it's really just interesting. Jared Leto it's, pretending <laughs> to be the dude on... <laughs> like Beaconos Island or whatever did you hear about that yeah I did Jared Leto he's in a he's in a different world that guy um but for me I think what's so what's so um what's so what works so well with this movie is the dude's kind of malleability I mean like call it stupidity call it what you will the guy can just be in any situation and just figure it out even if he doesn't know he's figuring it out i mean he pretty much just vibes his way through life and it just kind of works <laughs> and out and honestly don't isn't that what we all want well i think it's a huge inspiration for like a large number of people that just don't want to do anything <laughs> and i yeah. think i think it spoke a lot to you know like it obviously it was the 90s when this came out the late 90s very very different than the 40s when noir was being made but there's a certain sense of nihilism in in american culture and with younger generations in both of those eras that was happening certainly for different reasons but i feel i feel like there is a sense of you know the generation of millennials that were kind of you know in their teens in the 90s 
um, or not, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be, they wouldn't be teens, but younger people, so it'd be like Gen X, I guess, um, in, in the 90s, were kind of seen or thought of as somewhat slackerish. I think they were just kind of seen as like, you know, they didn't really know, it was kind of the turn of the century, didn't really know what was going on different, you know, different energies and generations before them. And they were kind of seen as like not achieving in the way that their parents were achieving. And I think having a hero in a movie that is an underachiever in this bizarre arbitrary world, just trying to figure it out and live his best life is kind of nice to see. Like you don't see that in a lot of movies. And I think that's just kind of what makes this movie so great. And I think the biggest takeaway for me of that about this movie is that I don't think it was made with a specific theme or purpose or reason to analyze it in mind. And I think that's what's, again, so brilliant about it is anybody can kind of analyze it and take away what they will from this movie. Yeah. And I think that's kind of why it makes it so brilliant and why it, so many different people, like an array of people call this movie their favorite movie. Different yeah. filmmakers, people from different walks of life really, really look to this movie and it, it can just really hit home for so many people and I mean for me it was like the comedy of it and then the noir mm-hmm. kind of nuanced noir throwbacks of it the writing is so amazing and and I just think that it, it's just one of those movies that's just like you can watch it and like a you know a fun dinner party or you can just like sit down and take notes and analyze it you can really do whatever you want <laughs> this movie like it's so malleable so I don't know I mean that's that's kind of what it is for me <laughs> but um I'm so sorry. I I agree with everything you've been saying, but then I remembered that one scene from the movie <laughs> where he gets called into. Do you, do you know what scene I'm going to talk no, about? No, but I just, the fact that you were just probably thinking about it and wanting to talk about it the whole time I was speaking. <laughs> no, but I was, I feel like uh, it would be a perfect in summation, but like, I just think you summed it up so perfectly. This film is epic because you can bring whatever lens you want to it and it also just feels like one of those films that's very timeless you know it doesn't it's kind of unfettered to like the era that it came out in yeah it's something that I think is very timeless and because there's not a clear theme no I agree (laughs) and I, I thought I actually before I like watch this I this is like show. This is so bad. Like showing how much I just really didn't know anything about this movie. I actually thought this movie was made in the eighties. I did not realize it was made so close to two thousand. It was made in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. Um. It's interesting because it feels like it's like critiquing a little bit of like the excess of the eighties. Yeah. I don't a bit. know. Like, um. But what? A little bit. What scene were you thinking about? Now I'm curious. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Okay. So the scene that I was thinking of that I thought was the funniest fucking thing ever is when Bunny, um gets kidnapped and the big Lebowski gets the uh ransom note and he's like crying in he's like very distraught and he's in his study and they like bring him in and it's like all of a sudden this like very intense music and he's like he's like what do you think like makes a man and he's like going into this like whole long like kind of soliloquy thing and then the dude is like I don't know I think a lot of people would say like testicles (laughs) That's what it is about this movie is that it uses like really inappropriate humor, but in such an intelligent way. But it's I just... such a funny way because it's like he's not wrong. And like, <laughs> meanwhile, the Big Lebowski is like, it's about like, you know, like making something lasting or like, you yeah, know, like whatever. Absolutely. Um, I was dying. I was, I mean, I just feel like it's, 
it's incredible. It's oh, incredible. It's so funny. Anyways, that's so the scene funny. I was thinking of. <laughs> Sorry. I've never seen this movie. It's the scene that had me like cracking up was when he goes over to Maud's like art studio for the first time and then she she's like standing there and there's kind of this ominous music she comes flying up <laughs> over the top of him. Yeah. Just this like is like spraying paint like or flicking paint onto this like giant canvas and then he's like, oh is that supposed to be like a woman? <laughs> Something <laughs> It's so random. It's just like so random. It's great. so funny. Um, but uh, with the randomness of this movie, there are certainly a couple of pretty fun facts about about it. So I'll I'll uh I only have three, but I'll I'll tell you. I think they're pretty good. So, um, this one's not really like funny, but it's very interesting. And I was like, yeah, it makes total sense because I think it's the same way in film noir. But the dude is in every single scene of this movie. <laughs> There's not one scene in this movie that he's not in, which is so interesting. Wow. Yeah, he's literally in every single scene. It's the dude's place. world and we're just living in I it. I think that's the point. It's so great. Mm-hmm. And we like did... Like you said, he's just vibing through his... Vibing his way. Vibing through life. Life. <laughs> just trying. I mean, my God. Um, yeah, and we did... Liddy and I did... We've talked about it because we're just, like, obsessed with the Academy Museum and we're going to keep talking about it forever. But we did actually see his yes. robe and slipper, like, his famous costume... Um, from the opening scene in the movie in the grocery yeah. store. Uh, it, also, one more thing. When he writes the check for the milk and it's 69 cents. <laughs> Sorry. It's I just, digress. it's everything is so <laughs> potty humor, but so funny. Sorry, um, keep going, it's keep just going. so great. No, I agree. Like it's so great. But um, yeah. He, if you guys are interested in the costumes and things from of movies and specifically this one, it's on display at the Academy Museum. So highly recommend. Um, little plug for the for the Academy Museum that we have to do. Um, so I want to ask you. This is kind of a pop quiz. Are you ready? Ooh, I'm excited. Okay. Um, there is a cameo, in fact, in the nihilist German music group Audubon. Do you know who it is? No. So um, Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers is one of the bassist from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is one of the members of the nihilist German music group Audubon. <laughs> wow, I'm obsessed with that. I never would have gotten that, but incredible fun fact. Yeah, I didn't. I saw, I remember seeing him. I like know who exactly who it is, and I was like, I remember seeing him. And I was like, that guy looks really familiar. And then I was like reading some facts, and I was like, oh my god, it's Flea. I was like, yes, I love that. Yeah, so Flea is in this movie randomly, but okay. Um, and then lastly, um, the Coen brothers, this is super interesting, really wanted Brando for Jeffrey Lebowski, like the the big Lebowski, um, but yeah, he yeah. was having health issues at the time, so he like he d- he couldn't do it. He's kind of at the end of his life uh, while they were making this movie, so he didn't do it. And then they wanted Anthony Hopkins, but he said no because he did not have any interest in playing an American. <laughs> And I'm like, same, honestly, I, I feel that. You're like, yeah, us too. I mean, same. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of all I have. I don't know. I think what makes this movie so great is that it's just so malleable and relatable to literally anybody on any level they want. So yeah, totally brilliant. I would say that this is a must watch. Like, I agree. Whether you are a cinephile, um, you love film, you've probably seen it before on like us fake cinephiles. I know. God, it's so embarrassing. I've never seen this. I know it is embarrassing. Especially um, with how I good to be it is. About it. It's really good. 
But yeah, or if you're someone who you're like, hey, I'm looking to get into movies, um, this is a great place to start. Um, I totally agree. It's just, it's just good, clean fun. It's you know, good, clean fun. Dirty fun. I I thought you were gonna say for those of you who love movies and for those of you who hate movies, I highly <laughs> recommend. But actually, though, like I think other people that aren't that don't consider yeah. themselves big movie watchers, this movie is engaging and it's hilarious. Yeah, and so it's hilarious. And you know what? It's not a film where you leave being like, "Whoa, what was the meaning of that?" Or like, "That's yeah, really crazy." Because you can leave. It's just like. Yeah, you, you just leave. Yeah. And you, you get you get to vibe in your own life just like the dude. Yeah, because so. you leave and then you talk about it. You talk about all of these things. You can dissect the analysis and everything. But at the end, yeah. you can just be like, hey, that's just your opinion, man. That's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> and it's so true. It's like the best line in the movie. And it's so it's just so relatable. So I think that's, that's what, like, to your point, it's great. You can leave and you can just be like, cool, that was a great movie. I'm going to move on <laughs> yeah. with my life. Or like, you can just talk about it forever. <laughs> like, it's, it's forever, like us. Really one or the other. So, um, yeah, I agree. I think this is a total must watch for everybody. <laughs> and I think we this might be the only ones. watching. We're probably we're the only ones on, that listen to this podcast. Everyone else is like, like, you dummies, we've already seen yeah, this. Yeah, you're like, yeah, where have you been? Living under a rock? <laughs> like, it's fine. It's like, yes, yes, I was. I was watching really obscure sci-fi horror from, like, the 1920s. So Invasion of the Defilers of Tombs. Uh, definitely check out that episode, which was also great. Yeah, <laughs> we're not going to explain that with any context. You're going to have to go listen. Mm. Um... But yeah, that's kind of all I have on on the Big Lebowski. Uh, wow, well, great job! You. This was such a fun one. Yeah, and um, I'm very excited about next week's episode. We're gonna wrap up our um, cult classics month with a super fun movie, one of my favorite movies of all time, The Princess Bride. Iconic. It's a great movie. Um, my mom hates this movie, so I hated this movie for a long time. I'm ready to give it a second chance, but um, we might have to bring in Sue for a Sue review of this film and why she hates it, because she literally, like, I wasn't allowed to watch this movie. It, like, dry, that makes me so sad, because this movie is so iconic, and it is absolutely a cult film, because it's, like, a total B-budget film, and it's so funny. It's just hilarious. I just am like, I really Malage. hope you can watch That's what it. I remember. Mowage is what brings us brings together. Us together. <laughs> but there's so many, like, rodents of unusual size. There's a scene oh, that, yeah. there's a scene in this movie that probably makes me laugh more than any scene in, like, any movie. And it's, and we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> we'll leave it. We'll wow, leave it I can't that. wait. Um, well, until then, um, you know where to find us. Uh Definitely check us out on Instagram where Sarah posts stills and fun facts about the film. And you can follow us on TikTok where I post all of our amazing uh, drink videos. So if you're ever curious on how to make any of the cocktails, definitely give that a check out. I spend a lot of time doing it and have a lot of fun as well. So and we love you for that, honestly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but until next week, cheers. cheers.